So what we know of as Revelation chapter 5 is just a continuation of the vision that was given to John that began in back in what we know as Revelation chapter 4. The vision that begins there with after these things, which was a literary marker given by John, given by the Lord to him to let us know that God had finished the instructions to the seven churches, was now moving on to another portion of the vision. This vision that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this chapter is just like the last in two ways. The first is that its main focus is the same as the last, Jesus Christ. And there is a literary marker used within this chapter as well. In our verses from today, look for the literary marker, which is the phrase, then I saw, which is found in verse 1, and then again in verse 2, and then in verse 6, and then in verse 11. The first literary marker comes right after the vision of the one who is sitting on the throne of heaven. The one who is said to be like Jasper Stone. The throne that had a rainbow arching over it, whose thunder and lightning never failed to cease. A throne surrounded by 24 elders on lesser thrones. Elders who were said to be dressed in white with gold crowns on their heads. A throne with a sea like glass before it. And a throne that had four heavenly beings, strangely described, fearsome in appearance, who sing a song of praise to the one on the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Which then causes those 24 elders to follow along in their portion of that, that two-part harmony. When after hearing the heavenly beings praise God, the elders follow along with, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Our attention at the end of chapter 4 was global in perspective. In listening to and partaking in on the creation-wide worship and the praise of God, the one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and praise simply because he is holy. And because he is holy, he created all things. And because he is holy, all things do it that exist do exist. And this brings us to verse 1 of chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Our attention is now drawn back in. We had an overall perspective happening in the last chapter. And then verse 1 draws our attention back in on the one who is sitting on that throne. John sees something new, something that he hadn't seen before. He had overlooked a thing in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. But now, as his attention is drawn back in on that one on the throne... He spots something in his right hand. It's a scroll sealed with seven seals. And the scroll is new to the book of Revelation. It's never been mentioned before. But it's not new to Scripture. And in fact, we should have been expecting it. 
because we know that what John is being shown in this heavenly vision isn't new. He's not the only one that has been taken to this place. This is where Isaiah was taken. This is where Daniel was taken. This is where Ezekiel was taken as well. And as I've mentioned before, the visions written down by those Old Testament prophets, those other men of God, the thing that they mentioned here, that is mentioned here and is new here, is found in those heavenly outings that they spoke of. A scroll was seen by all the Old Testament prophets taken to this place. A sealed scroll was spoken of as being seen in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 11, which says the entire vision will be to you like the words of his sealed book. When when, which, when they give to one who is literate, say, um, saying to them, please read this, he will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. The prophet Daniel, he saw a sealed scroll. He was told this concerning that sealed scroll. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will stand. And there will be a time of distress such as never happened since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book of, of life, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to reproach and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 4, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words, seal them up in the book until the time of the end. Many will go to and fro, and knowledge will increase. Daniel chapter 12, 1 through 4. And we scratch our heads and we wonder at the meaning there. And we're not alone. Daniel himself didn't understand, which is why same chapter, few verses later, he said this, As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the time of the end. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. The prophet Zechariah, he was also given a vision of this scroll, and God tells him what it is. He said, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side, and everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. I will make it go forth, declares Yahweh of hosts. And it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. And it will spend the night within that house and consume it with its timbers and stones. Zechariah saw a flying scroll. Daniel, Isaiah, they see a scroll that's sealed up. But to Ezekiel, after he sees his scroll, he's told this. Now as for you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you and don't be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. And then I looked, and behold, a hand was sent forth to me, and behold, a scroll was in it. Then he spread it out before me, and it was written on the front and the back, and written on it were lamentations, sighs, and woes, Ezekiel 2, 8 through 10. 
So are the scrolls that all five of these men see, are they, same, are they the same scroll? Do they all speak of the same scroll? Most assuredly, they do. And the reason that we can know this is because how our last chapter ended. Chapter 4 ended with the elders around the throne saying this, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created, verse 11. And this is the key to understanding chapter 5 of Revelation. In fact, in understanding the entire book of Revelation. In fact, if you want to understand the whole entire Bible, this is the key. The value and the worth of God. The supreme worth of God in contrast to all else. You see, saints, there is a charge made in the heavens that God is not worthy, that he alone is not worthy. That charge was made by the one that whose sea is his home, the ruler of this created realm now. There is a charge made by humans that God is not worthy, which was made manifest in the sin of Adam by not obeying. And this is what the scrolls that are seen open speak about. The sin of man and the fate of all creation because of it. And all men stand condemned. Those given the word of God in the nation Israel and those that were not. They both stand condemned as does all creation because of sin. And the visions given to both Daniel and Isaiah, they both speak of great tribulation and great judgment. Judgment that is due to all that have transgressed the law of God. But also found in their visions is this promise of a great salvation. Such as what is told to Isaiah when the Ancient of Days speaks to the true Israel. And he says to them, he says, Is it too small a thing that you should, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to cause the preserved ones of Israel to return? I will also give you as a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 49.6 Salvation for creation and the chosen sons of God was promised there. And at the same time, tribulation would happen. And these judgments would be exacted. And to both of these men, they were told, seal up this scroll that, they cont that contained these visions the ones that they had been given, because the promise of salvation, the promise of a redeemer, the promise of a savior, it was never explained to them. And something had to happen. Something had to occur for this scroll to be opened. Something that had not happened in their generation yet. Which then brings us to the second then I saw in verse 2. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? So again, the importance of that scroll is once again pointed at in verse 2. Yes, God is sitting on the throne. But the question is, is he really reigning? Because there's this issue going on there in the heavenly realm. And it's kind of a big issue. In fact, it's kind of important. In fact, it's probably the most important thing for all humanity and for all creation of matter. There's that sea before the throne. 
And then in the hand of God, of the one sitting on the throne, there's a scroll. Remember, that sea that's like glass, that was like crystal. We're told in Revelation 13.1 that that is the place of our mortal enemy, where he lives, and he is the master of all the unredeemed. The one that we know that is the ruler of this world is told to us in John 12.31. He's there. He's in heaven. Just like we're told in the book of Job. There's a blot on the perfection that is God. There's a stain on the perfect landscape of heaven. And the one who is the accuser, not just, the, not just of the brethren, but the one who is also says of God, you are not good. Because he, like Adam and the sons of Adam, say that God is not worthy. And the question asked by this angel who's described as strong, who walks out in front of that throne and makes a demanding question. And he doesn't walk out in front of that throne, turn around and face the throne. He walks out and he faces all eternity and he asks this question of all eternity and of all creation. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? That scroll that is sealed up with seven seals. And remember, seven is the number of perfection or completion. It's in the right hand of God, meaning that, it is who, that whatever is in it, he wrote and he owns. And this angel, this strong angel, is dispatched from God to go out and make this proclamation. And this strong angel, this, he bears a, a striking resemblance to the heavenly being that also made commands back in Daniel chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And then again in Daniel 4, verses 23, when he was sent out and commanded that a tree be chopped down and bound up, that tree that was representative of the most powerful king of the earth in in that time, Nebuchadnezzar, the king who knew that he was sent out by God, but who then determined that God wasn't worthy to be worshipped who would be chopped down to size and made to eat like eat grass like a cow until a time that was set for him when he returned to his right mind and understood that God in heaven alone is worthy to be worshipped. And the sending forth of this strong angel has significance. It means that the time for the scroll that Daniel and Isaiah saw sealed up and told that it was not time to unseal it, that time is now. And then the proclamation is made. You who are worthy, step forward. God commands it to be done. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. He makes this proclamation And the response is crickets. No one steps forward. You must be worthy. Well, what constitutes being worthy? We'll flesh that out in a little bit. But until until then, we're told that no one is worthy. 
And then verse 4, Then I was crying greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. You see, John understood what was in that scroll because what was in that scroll was also written on the outside of that scroll. The outside of the the scroll contained cliff notes of that which was fully contained within it. And John could see what that was, was written on it. He could see what this scroll was. And he understood the significance of it. And John was completely overwhelmed by the reality of the hopelessness as no one came forward. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. And this is an inclusive statement. It means all people for all time and all created beings for all time as well. And this is why John cried greatly. And it's important for us to understand and to see, to really pay attention to who steps forward next and speaks to John. It's not that strong angel, nor was it one of those four created beings around the throne. It's one of the 24 elders. And one of the elders said to me in verse 5, Stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the root from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the, soul, the scroll and its seven seals. What this human says to John is the consummation and the fulfilling of all Scripture. It's the fulfilling of the promise made back in Genesis 3.15. It's the telling of the one who would crush the head of the serpent. It's the fulfilling of Genesis 49.8-12 through 12, in, the, in that prophecy of Judah as a lion's whelp. It's the fulfilling of Isaiah 11 in the telling of the shoot that will spring forth from the, stre- from the stem of Jesse, the one that the seven spirits of God will rest upon the one who we are told then it will be in that day that the nations will seek the root of Jesse who will stand as a standard for the people and his resting place will be glorious verse 10 this elder this man tells John stop crying there's no reason for it he says to John and he must have raised his hand at that point pointing to the one who was worthy and said, Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Which then brings us to our next, then I saw. And again, remember the importance of these literary markers because it's placed here now to calm us down, to settle us down, to not allow our emotions to go ahead of ourselves. Because John was told, Behold, the lion And we can, in our emotion-driven minds, desire to look up and see Aslan on the prowl, a mighty lion, king of the jungle, stately, proud. But we're told in verse 6, Then I saw in the midst of the throne in the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Just as the scroll had been in the hand of God all along, the one who had commanded John to come up here in verse 1 of chapter 4 was also standing in the midst of that throne all along. But instead of Aslan, John sees a lamb 
And then he described the lamb that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the first thing he says is that he is standing. He's not sitting on the throne. He's not kicking back, resting. And tying this revelation of Jesus Christ into one given us in Isaiah, or the ones that are told that the seven spirits of God rest on in Isaiah 11, the same thing is said here. And John says that the lion that he sees, as if he is slain, is a lamb. And it's important in our theology to not add as being slain to that description. And the reason is because if we do, when we do, then we give validity to the Roman Catholic thinking of the Eucharist being a perpetual, real, and actual slaying of the Lamb of God. They held, and they still hold, that a magic act happens every time that they take the wine out of the refrigerator and place it in their magic cup. And every time they take that loaf of bread and they put it on their magic plate, and then they utter their magic words, those elements transform into the actual body and blood of Christ. They crucify their God every time they take communion, which is why their God is still hanging on that cross. But we are told of this lamb. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and cows, but through his own blood. And he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. He is standing ready for action. And we're told in Romans 8.34 that he's always making intercession for us. We're told in Hebrews 7.25 that he always lives to make intercession for us. But what does that mean? What does that look like? It's the filling of the description given on this lamb, of this lion that is the lamb back in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, where we're told of him, even now, Lord Yahweh helps me. Therefore, I am not dishonored. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know that I will not be ashamed. Which is then actually lived out and told to us in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it happened when the days for him to be taken up were soon to be fulfilled. He set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. John sees the one who this is a revelation of, the one who conquers Satan, death, and hell. And this is why he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but how he conquers. That is more important than the fact that he actually did. You see, in the United, in the United States military, those that enlist, they all volunteer. And for this reason, they can, can be considered heroes because it's a courageous act to lay down your own desires for the betterment of others. And this is what they do. But within the military, there are those that are different than all the rest. And they are the ones who, when shots are fired at them, they don't run for covering fire. They don't dunk down and get into a defensive position because that's a normal thing for heroes to do. But there are those within the military, when bullets start flying in their direction, they run towards those bullets. 
And they start taking an offensive action against those that desire to do harm to those that they are sworn to protect and to serve. And that's just a minor picture of what Jesus did in stepping down out of eternity into setting his face like a flint towards the cross and always making intercession for us. Christ was not an unwilling sacrifice. He did not drag his feet in defeating our mortal enemy. He willingly laid down his life. But it's how he did it that matters, that we need to understand. Because he charged the gates of hell and overthrew the ruler of this realm. He set the captives free by an offensive that came about by by him being willing to submit to the will of his Father and offer himself as a sacrifice to demonstrate the holy righteousness of his Father and the Spirit. Christ, the lion, seen as a lamb that has been slain, is given here to emphasize the centrality of the cross in the the redemptive covenant that was made within the Trinity of God before the foundation of the world. He overcame and he conquered just as his people do. As he told us back in chapter 3, when he said in verse 21, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And this is the irony of God. All-powerful, all-strong, and his strength is demonstrated through meekness. And we, his people, will over and again be spoken of as those that follow this pattern in willing obedience to the Father and to the Son. Such as told to us in Revelation 7.14 when he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Same thing that is said in Revelation 14.4, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. The worth of this lion was found in his willingness to obey and become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 and verse 7. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of, the, of him who sits on the throne. And what we're being told here is the same thing that happened that Daniel saw that was revealed in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 of Daniel. When he said, I kept looking in the night vision and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and came near before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men and every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not be taken away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And this is why we are then told what happens next in Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain and purchased for God with your people 
I'm, I'm sorry, purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And what we are witnessing here does not happen after the rapture of the church. What we are witnessing here has already happened. It's the same thing that Peter proclaimed as having happened in Acts chapter, 30, Acts chapter 2, verses 32 to 36, which is the same thing that's explained to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 to 37, where he said, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. And we're on the cusp of that right here. But it's the same thing that was said to us in Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 20 through 22, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And those verses all speak of Christ as already overcoming. Already. And this is why that we are told that these saints, these elders, these humans, the ones that dump out the prayers of the saints, why they are said to sing a new song. This new song is not because the church has been raptured. This song is not new because of anything of lesser importance than that which is promised back in Genesis 3.15. The thing that was promised to Isaiah, to Ezekiel, to Daniel, to Joel. Listen to the promise made to Isaiah in chapter 48, verses 8 and 10. He said, I am Yahweh, that's my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I cause you to hear them. Sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. And what is it? What new thing has he told us of that we hear? Well, what is it that Christ said on the night that he was betrayed? In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the covenant, my new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, 1 Corinthians 11.25. And this is the new song that these elders sing. That new song that is the fulfilling of all the prophecies made in the Old Testament prophets. Do you remember how these elders who sing around the throne of God, what, they are, what they're described to us is, how they're described to us. Do you remember how they're described? Wearing white, gold crowns, 
Why? Because they have been made into a kingdom. The same thing that we're told happened here in verse 6. He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the might forever and ever. Amen. Well, that happens afterwards, right? That happens after the rapture. That what happens, right? But this is the same thing that's promised to the sons of God back in Exodus chapter verse, verse I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 6. There we're told, you shall be to me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. Same thing that is told of the saints in Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. Us being made a kingdom, priest, a holy nation. This isn't the important thing here, though. The important thing is given us in another place where we're told that we will be made into a kingdom, priest to our God. Listen to how God describes us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5-12. through 12. He says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. There it is again. This has already happened. But listen to why we are made kings and priests and a holy nation to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone and a precious cornerstone, and he who believes upon him will not be put to shame. And this precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. And a stone is stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And, and to the stumbling they were also appointed. So much for free will. But you, verse 9, are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now, not then, now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the point of this is not who these elders are. The point is, there are elders there dressed in white with gold crowns on their heads, sitting on thrones around the throne of God. Those, they are kings. They are priests of a holy nation. And the elders there, they all are singing because of the redemption that was brought about by that new covenant in the blood of the lion that was seen here as a lamb slain. Which then brings us to that last, then I looked, marker of this chapter. Found in verse 11. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriad of myriads, and thousands and thousands, which is the same thing that Daniel says back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, or verse 10, chapter 10, verse 7. But now it's not just the elders who are praising God, singing in this new song. All creation is joining in. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing on which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And in verse 11 of chapter 5, we are finally told what the criteria is to be considered worthy to even touch this scroll that God the Father had in his right hand. You have to be the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Remember, there are sinless beings in heaven at this point. The angels are there but they're not worthy to touch this scroll. And this speaks to what this scroll is, what it was that Daniel was shown, what Isaiah was told to seal up until the last times, what the Father now holds in his right hand. This scroll is a will. You see, in that time and day, Roman wills were sealed by seven witnesses with the abbreviated contents of the will written on the outside, and then the full rendering and the terms and conditions of the will and how those it would inherit were written on the inside. And then it was sealed with seven seals, and it could not, it would not be opened until the death of the one who had written that will. And this is the wonder of God and why he is worthy. You see, Lucifer charged God with not being good because of his rebellion. Adam, who had been dominion, who had been given dominion over creation in his perfect state, he charged God with not being good through his treason, which is called sin. And the title deed for all creation, which belonged to God and was handed over to Adam, was then signed over to one who is not worthy. And God signed up the title deed of all creation in a will. And the title deed would, need, would have to be redeemed after a perfect human died. And then creation could be set, be set free from sin. The redemption of all creation was all sealed up in that scroll. It was signed over by a human, which is why the one who was Worthy to open of it, open it had to be human as well. He had to die to have that will opened, to have the inheritance given. And only a perfect human could then break open and this, um, the seals to reveal the terms and the conditions in that will. And that human had to be worthy to open up those seals. He had to be. And this is what is said of Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Jesus, who although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that every name of Jesus, every now knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, this is the conundrum of the redeemed of God. Do you remember that question that was posed by Daniel when he was told to seal up the scroll back in Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 10? He said, as for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he says, go your way, Daniel. These, wills, or these words are concealed and sealed until the time of the end. Many will urge, refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Daniel couldn't reconcile the vision of the Holy One of God that he has seen. Remember, he's in the same, the same place that John is here. He had been taken to the very scene that John is taken to. He had witnessed the throne of God. He had seen the Ancient of Days on the throne. And then he described the one, and, and the one who he described in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, as the one that looked like the Son of Man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days. And he came near before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not be taken away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. But at the same time, Daniel has seen a great beast rising from the sea, the sea that still remains before the throne of God, a beast that's fearsome, that's awesome that speaks great blasphemies against God. The one that he tells us in chapter 7, verse 21, I kept looking, and the horn was waging war with the saints and overcoming them. The one who is said will speak words against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make changes in the seasons and in the law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, a time, and a half a time. Daniel seven twenty-five. And Daniel could not reconcile how the kingdom of the one that was like the Son of Man could not be destroyed and would never end. And at the same time, this beast that comes up out of the sea seemingly is taking charge and is ruling. He just didn't get it. Which is why he admits at the end of chapter 7, verse 28, he said, and he ends, this is how Daniel ends his book. As for me, Daniel... My thoughts were greatly alarming me, and the splendor of my face changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. He just couldn't fathom the truth of God. He didn't get the words of God. He couldn't. That God, the creator and the sustainer of all things, would send His Son the one that was like the Son of Man, who was given a, a kingdom a, whose dominion will never end, that he would step down out of the throne room of grace and into the created realm to demonstrate to all creation the extent, the depth, the width, the height of the love of God. Daniel couldn't understand that any more than the rest of the created heavenly beings could. He couldn't understand the glory that is due the name of, to this, of this God. And this is the message of the Bible. 
the worth of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8-12, through 12, Peter then begins speaking of the one who stepped forward to take the scroll from the right hand of his father, the one who is worthy, the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, that is, as a slain lamb. Peter says of this one, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. How do you explain that? How do you explain the unexplainable, the unreal that is real, salvation that is so good, too good to be true, that it has to be true? We can't. And for this reason, there, Peter reaches back to Isaiah, the truth of the prophets of old, to Ezekiel, to Zechariah, to Daniel. And he says of them, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, they made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ was was within them, was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The sufferings of Christ? The Savior? Who has to be God? And then the glories that follow? It made no sense to them. Which is why we have verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been declared to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the, help, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. But it's just not the prophets of old that scratch their heads and wonder at what they're being shown. It's not just they that didn't get God, that praise God for His amazing grace that they are witnessing but couldn't understand. They're not alone because verse 12 of 1 Peter 1 ends this way. Things in which angels long to look. Those created perfect beings called angels. That strong angel that had stepped forward earlier. They all long to comprehend, to look more closely into the salvation that is of God. They can't fathom it. It's just that amazing. They can't comprehend the reality of the holiness of this God. The God who created all things and that is worthy of praise because of that. But at the same time, they wonder about that sea. What does God do with the charge made by Lucifer and Adam that he is not worthy? Well, the vision that is being shown to John is the same vision that was shown to the prophets of old. They were all shown this vision to demonstrate the worthiness of God and the value of the one who does step forward to take that scroll, the one who is worthy to take it and to open it. He takes the scroll from the Father's right hand. The Spirit is empowering and filling the saints around the throne. The Son, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, He is central to this vision. Why? For in him 
all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Colossians 2.9 What we are being shown here is what has already happened. What we are witnessing too in this vision is best described in Colossians 1.19 and 20. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him whether things on earth or things in heaven. And this is who Christ is. The charge made against God, made by Lucifer, the treason of the created in the image of man, or in the image of God, man, the transfer of that title deed of all creation, that would remain unless a perfect human would die in his perfection, and then take the scroll, break the chains, prove the worth of God, and demonstrate his complete holiness to all creation in order that he receive glory due his name. Saints, I, I pray, I pray that God would give us the ability to wonder at the majesty of this Christ with which we have been given and to join in with every created thing which is in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and even on the sea, and all things in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is completely impossible. It just doesn't make any sense. And yet, our God answered those charges made against him that you are not good, that you are not holy, and that you are not loved by humbly submitting to his Father and dying to redeem his people, to redeem creation. But most, to prove the value and the worth of his Father. May we wonder at this Christ. Let's pray.